0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody.
1: My name is Boss Ruten. This is Diego Lima.
0: This is Rodrigo Comprido And you listen. And
1: you guys are listening? So you are listening to the Verbal Submission.
2: Welcome to the verbal submission. I am your host Brian Hemminger and uh, as it said earlier, it feels so good to be back. Um, very excited to uh, have the verbal submission back. We've been on a bit of a hiatus for the past uh, month or two, a couple months actually, so but we are back and we are back in full force. Uh, it'll be myself, Brian Hemminger, and then the co-host here, uh, Rich. Uh, Richard Perry, and then Jerry Rodriguez will be joining us momentarily. The chat room is a... I opened it. See, I'm just so out of practice with everything. And uh, joining us in just about five minutes will be the new Black Zillions head grappling coach, Neil Melanson, and then joining us in one hour will be Ray Borg, who is fighting on the main card of UFC Fight Night 73 in Nashville this, this weekend. So... Now that we got that all out of the way, uh, Richard, welcome back to the verbal submission. How's it feel?
3: It feels pretty good. Really uh, looking forward to, uh, to talking to Ray Borg and uh, and Neil. Um, got a lot of questions ready for Neil.
0: So
2: awesome. Well, Neil's the man, and he can handle it. Like he's actually been a closet fan of our show ever since we had him on, and he actually went back and listened to the show, and this was like. Right uh right after the 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 Forest Griffin fight, I think against Tito the second time or the third time and Jerry was just trashing Forrest and Neil's a big you know friend of Forrest and Neil went back and listened to our show and then he messages us and goes, You know what, you guys are real as fuck <laughs> He's like, I really admire that about you
0: <laughs>
2: And he's like And I actually agree with some of the things you're saying about Forrest so, I've always been super cool with Neil ever since So it'll be a, a real treat to get to talk to him Because of course he was the the head grappling coach over at Extreme Couture And then for the last few years he's been over at Alliance Helping them on, in San Diego And now he's crossing the entire country Heading over to Boca Ratan, South Florida For uh, the Black Zillions So this uh, is one going thing to is- be a, a treat
3: one thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is um, he teaches uh, mostly catch wrestling, and catch mm-hmm. wrestling is very strength and, and kind of size dependent, so I don't see it too much at the lower weight classes, um, and I'm interested to see what he could do with some super high level, just really big guys that are yeah. uh, fighting out of the black the Blackvillians.
2: And joining us right now is uh, my our other co-host, Jerry Rodriguez. Jerry, how you doing, man? Okay, maybe he's not ready yet. Yeah, I definitely unmuted him. So, okay, well, he'll message me. Oh, it says uh, Skype isn't launching, so he'll let me know when it's ready. So, he's on Facebook. So, okay. uh, Anyway, we had just a little bit of something interesting happening last night. You know, somebody named Ronda Rousey fought. And she smashed a chick's face in in thirty seconds, so uh rich, I'm gonna go get Neil Melanson on the line, and while I'm doing that, I wanna hear your thoughts on uh Miss Rousey's performance last night, so uh take it away
3: well, um you know she said she was gonna dominate uh uh Kohea, and she really did um it wasn't pretty, it wasn't technical. But Wanda um, just walked out and proved that she really doesn't need to respect her opponents in the slightest. Um, she would just walk forward, threw bombs until she put Correa out directly on her face. I mean, that was a face plant uh, that you don't really see too much in women's MMA. Um, you know, and she said she was coming out with mean intentions. I don't I think she went for. One hip toss, and she just kind of stepped across with her uh, her left leg, um, and Correa, you know, adjusted, and then Rhonda just went right back to throwing bombs, and um, it worked. I mean, she she took out Correa in her own wheelhouse uh, and and slept her at a, at thirty four seconds into the first round. Now, one of the big stories of uh, UFC 190 was how many people outside of normal MMA fans were talking about Ronda. There were people that couldn't even recognize anyone else on the card buying the pay-per-view and um, sitting through a lot of really long, uninteresting decision-type fights just to watch Ronda win a fight in 34 seconds. Um, She's really starting to transcend the UFC
2: as a whole. All right, Rich. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but we are absolutely honored to introduce our first guest for the evening. He is the new grappling coach over at the Black Zillions. uh, Neil Melanson, welcome back to the verbal submission, man. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's uh, our pleasure. We really appreciate anytime you ever get to come on the show and talk uh, about anything MMA. And there is so much to talk about with you because uh, you made a really big move. I mean, everyone knows you started out over in Las Vegas, and then you, the last uh, year or two you've been in Alliance, and now heading all the way across the country to uh, the Black Zillions Gym. That's a huge move. Now I heard yeah, that this yeah. had, I heard this had something to do with. Uh, you know, you you helped uh, Rumble for like a week, prepare for uh, Daniel Cormier, and they just were so, you know, awestruck by you know how much you were able to help in such a short time that they needed you there more. Is that uh, one of the main reasons you decided to uh, uh, head across the country and uh, change gyms and everything?
4: Well, yeah. I mean, I I don't know exactly, you know, what they thought from the week. You know, I know they I got a lot of positive feedback but uh, you know obviously he lost and he lost a certain way that you know they they don't want to see happen again and uh, I think Rumble and, and I don't know if it was my reputation or what I said to him down there or how I was coaching he, he felt pretty absolute that I, if we got connected full time that you know he could do great things and improve upon those weaknesses and I was I was up for a change. Honestly, uh, I was really happy at Alliance. Alliance crew it was it's a great gym. I liked I loved the fighters there. I mean, working with Dom Cruz and all the athletes down there. Uh, Coach Eric Del Furo. It was easy for me to work with. He was a great dude. I just was really happy. But uh, Florida, is, I mean, uh, California is expensive, and um, you know the thing about it is when you don't have a big money backing. You know, you gotta work really hard and you're not getting a lot in return and they can kinda beat you up. And I think it was two or three days after the you know, Rumble uh losing the, you know, his title fight. He got a hold of me and he was just one hundred percent committed, like, what do what do I have to do to get you there? And then Glenn Robinson started calling and, and the negotiations began. And, you know, honestly it was uh I was up for a change. Um, we, you know, my family we wanted to get out to to uh, Florida. We thought it, you know, no state tax, and we wanted to get back to a tropical environment. So the whole deal, as a, everything together, just made sense. And um, I know there's some rumors about about the Black aliens that they're kind of like, oh, it's kind of like two teams. I've heard them myself. Like You know, there's, like, the uh, the Americans and then the Brazilians and they don't blend together. But it's not the case at all, man. It's it's actually really fun. I actually really love it here, too. I've been pretty blessed to have Alliance and have a great training out there and then now be here at Black Zillions. And I got all this talent, all these great guys, all these different coaches. And uh, I love going to work every day. It's, I, I love the challenge of it.
2: I'm really happy I made this decision. Well, it definitely sounds great. Now, how is it going to affect uh, a couple things? Like, because, you know, you had a great relationship with Michael Chandler, who put on a monster performance in his last fight. You know, are you going to have, like, a, a Dwayne Ludwig, TJ Dillashaw type of situation where, you know, maybe you'll help those guys, a couple of those guys from Alliance every once in a while? Or are you just 100% with the Black Zillions now?
4: I, I worked it out so that I could always with those particular athletes that I have that relationship with. So Michael Chandler, uh, Dominic Cruz, Travis Brown, I know he's not with the Lions, but, um, and Phil Davis, those are specific names that were mentioned in the negotiations and on the contract that, you know, if I want to go train them, you know, if they need me, I can do it. The only, I think the only thing that, um, I wouldn't be able to do as if they were under contract to fight a black sitting athlete, which only makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. I
4: wouldn't want to create that mix up, but those, those athletes, you know, especially Chandler and I stuff, like we're really close. Me and Dom Cruz, we got a great relationship and I was already back. I already worked with them once and uh, we're going to keep training and I'm going to help them If I got to fly out there for a couple of weeks, I got to, I got to help him and he's got to get that damn title back cuz he never lost it and he's the best bantamweight weight in
2: the world. Oh, you're damn right. Uh yeah, I had a chance to meet <laughs> Dom uh very briefly when uh I was in uh Vegas for UFC 189. I was at the the expo and stuff. Got to talk to him briefly. But um that's uh something I want to bring up and this is uh you know, this is probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you today, but you know, the Black Stallions do have a history of you know some problems with some of their grappling coaches. You know you had Mike Van Arsdale, the wrestling coach. He ended up leaving. Uh, you had uh, Mario Sperry take over, and then he ended up leaving. You know a really good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy, and then Kenny Monday, the Olympian, was there, and that didn't end well. You know, is that any concern for you whatsoever, or is that something you uh, you know, talk to them about? You know that was a major concern for me leading up mm-hmm. to this.
4: But um I think it was me coming out, checking it out. Me and Coach uh Henry Hoof, the striking coach, me and him are close. We've known each other for years. We've been talking about doing something together for years. You know uh, Matt Mitrell' has been begging for this connection to happen. Um and it was me coming down and I looked and I just I was, I kinda had the, a lot of worries but I feel like my worries are put to ease pretty quick. Um, within the first week or so that I was here. Um, most of the time, those kind of things, it, it has to do with individual relationships. When you have a big market team, they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to try to build this team pretty fast to compete with the highest level. They go out and get some badass coaches, but what can happen is it doesn't blend with the other badass coaches or whatever the case was. I really don't know, and honestly, that's, that's for their issues and, and not mine. I don't need to be poking my nose in it. But as far as me, we still have like the head coach and the jujitsu coaches George Santiago, he's a great jujitsu coach. He can get along great. And normally in that environment, you know, that wouldn't blend, but hey, I wanna learn from him. I've already learned some cool tricks. We're blending, we're getting along great. Uh, I don't see any uh, any type of problem in the coaching staff. We're we're really pulling together as one. It's 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 one spear and uh we're ready to plunge some hearts, you know?
2: Oh, that, that's great to hear. And you actually bring something a little different than something maybe they're used to because, you know, they had pure wrestling coaches in there. They've had pure jiu coaches. And you really do a great job of melding it all together with, a, you know, a special blend of a catch wrestling style. So, you know, are, you, are they just basically learning all kinds of new stuff from you just because of uh, the different type of uh, grappling you present? Well, I'm filling in the cracks in a lot of areas, you know. I'm not a great
4: Greco guy, but I've been around some great Greco guys as far as, you know, Randy Couture and um, and some other coaches like, the, um, uh, you know, Greco to me, you know, Greco to me is is very important for fence work, and a lot of great wrestlers don't know the fence, and I was I was for, fortunate. Enough from learning from Randy and you know uh, Daryl Christian in, um, in in California, another badass Greco guy. So I'm really helping a lot with you know the fence work and the fence tactics, which you know I it's not my area of expertise, but I know it better than most. And then you know when I was at Alliance, I I focused just on MMA grappling. I didn't do anything else, so I was able to really focus on how to win scrambles, details and putting sequences together and being really honest about technique. That's the one thing that every coach needs to be. Like, how much time are we really going to have when two athletic sweaty bodies are in this position? Do we want to take the shortcut, or do we want to be perfect? You know what? Perfect's not going to be there, so let's take the shortcut. Or whatever the case may be, and for Christ's sakes, when you're on the ground, hit them. And that's the biggest problem I've noticed with jiu-jitsu transitioning, to to MMA, they try to get to that perfect position and then strike versus using the striking to set up the perfect position. Just a different mindset. Mm-hmm. There is no wrong. It all at all based on the the athlete's ability. But when you don't have you know these high level black belts, or high level wrestlers, and they're becoming MMA fighters, you have to train them a certain way because they don't have that strength to fall back on. And and I I'm kind of I'm very systemic when it comes to these things and. And I'm already been applying that to the to the game here at the Black Zillions, and having so many great black belts around, it's just making their life easier. And we've lost some fights. You know, we, they lost two title fights in one night. You know, that's 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 tough. I'm already back training Vitor. You know, I just trained with him yesterday again. I mean, he's he's working with me all the time since I've been here. And uh, me and him go way back to Vegas together, so it's kind of like old. Whole family getting together and horsing around. So it's, we're trying to, we're making the changes, but we have the talent and we have the coaching. It was just, you know, technique and tactics are not the same. And I can take a good, a fighter with great tactics and have them outdo a fighter with great technique. And when you got these fighters with great technique and they just don't have the tactics to apply it, and it's too bad because you know they're so much better than what they're showing. And that's what I'm really bringing to the table. I guess that's a short answer. I should have gave
2: you some of the – set of the tangent, I just went on. <laughs> I love tangents, so you are more than welcome. <laughs> now, okay. I, I have, like, a laundry list of, like, fighters and situations and stuff I want to bring up. So you actually hinted at something that I wanted to talk about, which is Vitor. You know, I've seen some pictures. You know, seen, you seem know, – you're working with VTOR. He looks so happy. And I know that there was, like – A couple situations that happened in Vegas. I think with Sean Tompkins and stuff when you guys were down there, ended up with Vitor. You know, not really wanting to work with uh, that stuff. So, can you just talk a little bit about what it's like to to reunite with Vitor? Because I think you you guys never had a falling out. It was more, you know, some of the other people. No, we never did. No, we never did. He,
4: he, you know, he always he always paid me. We always had a great time. Uh, We trained together. We did a couple fights together. And then he kind of went on a hi- hiatus from, you know, went back to Brazil, and, and then he kind of came back. He had some other jujitsu guys, and he said, "Hey, I'll, you know, let's let's still work together, but I want to focus on my jiu-jitsu, not just my, you know, my catch, you know, my you know my grappling element." And I said, "Sure, you know, I'm not, you know, the one thing I've learned from great fighters is just just let them get what they need. I'm not trying to control their lives, you know. When when a fighter's paying you." He's paying you to train them. Don't expect loyalty. To me, he's my friend, and if he wants he help and work, I'll be there. And that's just the bottom line. And we never had a falling out. We'd see each other. We kept in touch. And, um, and then I end up, he ended up moving to Florida, and he had a huge success with Henry and all the guys. And I ended up going to San Diego, and here we are back at it, and now we're working on our tactics and helping him explain why he was losing those fights on the ground and what habits he has, and, and it's it's making a lot of sense. And we're having a blast, man. We're we're having fun. He's learning, and he's already he's so talented. He's already applying a lot, and I, mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm kind of hoping he gets taken down in his next fight or something, so he could do it. Honestly, uh, not that I want to see him be put on his back, but I I love to see you know apply these tactics and going live because he's we're just getting started, man. It's going to be awesome.
2: You know, we've already seen a hint of what Vitor's capable of. I mean, he's choked out Rumble, who he's now working with, and uh, he really messed up John Jones' arm in that title fight. So, yeah, just imagining him to his full potential on the ground with you is uh, pretty wild. Now, my co-host here had a couple questions for you, so I'm going to let him, or I'm going to ask his questions. He had, uh, you know, with your catch wrestling style, it really works even better with a uh, bigger fighters. So just the large size of all the athletes at the, the black zillions gym. They do have a, a disproportionate almost amount of guys, you know, in the, the welter weighted up weight class, you know, does that really help translate your style too? Yeah,
4: I know I was trained by small guys, you know, so mm-hmm. I understand that style. Um, it actually took me a while to figure out like, cause I could grapple like a small guy, but, um, it took me, like, you know, a few years into it to be like, oh, you know, train for your body type a little more. And uh, there is a major difference if you're a heavyweight in how you grapple and how you wrestle and how you box when it comes to heavyweights versus other weight classes. And and that's another failure I see with most coaches that are 170. Whoever they're smaller, coaches they are awesome. They have great technique, but they don't understand – heavyweight, they think it's all relative and it's you know, like, oh, this guy's the same size as me, and the guy you're fighting is the same size as you. It's like, no, it's it that that's that's true, but it's still a man that's two hundred and sixty pounds on you. You know, it, we have to have little different details, little different rules. You know, like you like if you watch college wrestling in heavyweight division, it looks a lot different
0: than some of the
4: smaller divisions and for a reason. So training in heavyweights yeah, that's that's one of the you know, me being a heavyweight, one of the advantages I have. And like catch wrestling style, like I push catch wrestling. I'm just a grappler, man. You know, it, you know, catch wrestling is is a base of mine but I, I learned everything. I just never wanted to put the gi on. I came from higher stand, they had a no gi program, you know, Carl went off and started doing his own no gi program, you know, through high stand and, and I was Carl's first black belt and and uh you know he he kind of formed me what he wanted me to be and what was best for me and I learned from jiu-jitsu guys to help you know figure out stuff and I I studied wrestling I wrestling network wrestling is a great base great base for MMA fighting and MMA grappling great base if you if you can out scramble and hand fight I mean look at Phil Davis and Ben Askren they don't they don't train jiu-jitsu they just walk in and Maybe Ben does. I'm not. I'm not I don't really don't know him that well. As far as I know, he you know he just wrestles, but shows up and he can ride you to death. Phil Davis can grip you to death. I mean, I trained Phil for that fight with Glover. He, I mean, he, people don't know what it's like when Phil you know Phil's on top of you and he's gripping you to death and you can't get up. How much of a bitch you feel like, you know? Like that's all wrestling. That's network wrestling. Now you're throwing some. Style a little jujitsu in there, a little hint of that style, and you make it mean with, with with some pain and pressure and strikes. Boom, you know that's that's MMA. That's the best style to have, he you ask me. You know, it's all
2: together. It's all together. Oh, it's just- oh definitely. I mean. Now uh, another question from my co-host. He, you brought up that you know there's a lot of guys out there that have incredible technique but are kind of missing out on the tactics. And he asks, you mm-hmm. know, are there any prospects out there that you see them fight and go? man, I could take this guy, just explode him to the next level. You know, he just needs that little tweak with me.
4: You know, that's kind of a question I'd have to think about. Right now,
0: mm-hmm.
4: my mind is so on the athletes I have. Like, Yeah. You know, my my girlfriend would tell you, I just stare off in the space. I'll be, like, doing something, and she'll be like, hey, are you here? Because I'm down constantly. I'm nonstop <laughs> thinking about the athletes I have and what I need to accomplish and the best way to accomplish it but you know now I was mentioning Tom Cruise and let me tell you this and anyone that disagrees with me better better have a good explanation because Tom Cruise on the understanding of MMA as far as striking into takedowns and the whole you know the whole dance of that game nobody and I mean nobody that I've ever met and ever heard about not even the crazy geniuses that you think know that game better than him. He is literally brilliant. He's so brilliant, and his mind is so above everybody else in that area that his language doesn't even come over. He'll try to talk to regular people about stuff, and I can tell them not following or tracking at all, because all right, his mind moves really fast, which is a challenge to coach him. My my ground game off of takedowns is based on sequences and everything. I had to train him backwards to keep his mind from going ahead of me. That's, that's a challenge. You know, I learned that from an old wrestling coach. You know, guys are really clever like that, and they're always trying to get ahead of you. Teach them backwards. That way they, they can't get ahead of you. You know, they don't know where it starts. And uh, me and him hit it off great, and that's why we're so tight. But when I hear other coaches, they try to explain. When I used to watch Don Cruz do what he did, I was like, "This this guy's giving me—he's giving me anxiety." I don't know what the hell he's trying to do. But then once I've worked with him and trained with him, he is literally brilliant. Now, the future MMA is guys that think like Don Cruz, and until Don starts to write a book, I don't see anyone else getting there. And that's what we see with some of the fighters like um, Dillashaw. He's trying to apply some of Don Cruz, and he does a pretty good job. But he's not Tom Cruise. Dom, Dominic Cruz is brilliant, and I've met some brilliant coaches, too, that really understand MMA. To me, that's 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 the tactics of the game. When, you, when you're actually throwing punching combinations to set up an outside low kick, just to get guys to turn his foot so he can hit an outside single and it dumps him in a half second, and you don't have to chain wrestle, that's the tactics. That's the brilliance of the game. Not just punches and go for your blast double. That's Athletics that's when you have somebody athletic that can get away with it. But what if he's tired? What well, if he's going against another athletic guy? What are you gonna do? Be two bulls smashing against each other? Where's the future in that? It it's those type of tactics, that brilliance of guys that are maybe not control based grapplers, but they're 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 very transitional. Well, the more they float the better it is because when they're on top and they're floating, they can get the neck, they can get the back. They can punch, and that will cause the scramble. Control-based guys, stay by the hips, grind them out, keep them on a low shoulder. Like These are the tactics. And, and I I know there's other coaches that think like me out
0: there. You know, I
4: know that Greg Jackson's brilliant, and a lot of other guys are brilliant, but I think this is the future. When this comes out, and more people get the understanding of these kind of tactics, the game is going to look different. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be something of high intelligence, and I, it's getting better and better slowly, but I I, I really am optimistic that the future is uh, the future. A lot of people listen and pay attention. The future is going to be pretty impressive.
2: Now, you just made me really excited, because when I was in Vegas, I got Tom <laughs> Cruise's like, publicist info and stuff to set up an interview, and now I need to like drop everything and get him on my show. So, it's yeah. going to happen. I'll and text him and tell him he needs to do it just so he can blow your that mind. Would, it, that would be great because, and I would try to set it aside on a time where he's got, like, an hour, like, just to just hammer <laughs> things out with me and just annoy the shit out of him. But, yeah, because I want to just that's, delve. That's the reason why when you
4: see him on TV,
2: like Fox, analyzing,
4: you hear the other guy, he's bringing up some good, valid points. This guy's bringing up some valid points. Don Cruz sees something else.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: like, any a lot of wrestlers know like hey if a guy's on the ground and you want to keep him from getting up you control the bottom leg, but when you see most coaches they'll think oh you know you gotta get this you gotta get no just if you can't get his bottom leg out he ain't getting up, so like it kind of narrows your thinking and now it allows allows you to focus on tactics based around that kind of stuff. Those kind of details in my mind should be common knowledge, but they're not yet. You know what happens when that comes out is going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting. You know, Dom's like that. When he sees a guy against the fence, he knows exactly why something's going to work and why it's not based on a, a concept or a principle that's just purely tactics. It's just purely tactics. It's really, I hope he comes on a show. I'll peer pressure him into it if I have to. Because that would just, just so you can
0: understand exactly
4: what I'm talking about. He's, me and him together, like when we talk together, we're. We we sound like aliens, but uh, I'm excited as hell to do it next camp. Excited, so uh, really.
2: I'm I'm excited just the second they announce you know cruise against Dillashaw. That's when I get excited. So all right, we gotta we gotta stay focused here. Um, my my <laughs> co-host here uh, has one other question. He wants to know you know do you. In terms of uh, tactics for fights, do you prefer to look at the fight as a whole, whether it's you know a three-rounder for the full 15 minutes or it's a five-rounder for the full 25 minutes, or do you prefer having you know game plans for every type of exchange?
4: Well, that's kind of tricky because it's not really that clear-cut. Obviously, mm-hmm. the length of the fight is going to be very important. No sense training for a 25-minute round fight if you're only fighting for 15 um, you, want, you want an athlete to feel the time and really understand how much gas he can put out. Some fighters have a habit of not wanting to go for it because they're so worried they're getting tired. And once that's in their head, they, you know, it's hard to get it out, you know. And because of that, they tend to be decision machines. And so uh, how much time is always very, very important. Um, can you Let me ask you, bring the question up one more time so I don't get off point.
2: Oh yeah, it was it was just more is do you prefer to, you know, look at a fight and break down an upcoming fight as the whole at the whole 15 minutes or do you prefer to break it down into the smaller pieces like in preparation?
4: Well, I'll do the 15 minutes, but I always look at I, I look at exchanges like plays, like a play mm-hmm. in football once once 16 once the exchange or the, the sequence of the scramble is over, you know, there's a new play that begins. But the tactic of the first, like, the first play, so to speak, will always improvise the other. Like, if you're going against, like, a wrestler and he comes out and he takes you down right away, dumps you, he doesn't hold you down, he just, you just get right back up. Now he comes down and he level changes. You have to respect the takedown. You just got taken down. So now when you, you know, respond to that, you may drop your hands because you're worried about the takedown. And now he can blast you in the head, you know. So now you don't know what's which. Now you're within the first 30 seconds of the fight, you're in his head. He doesn't know what's coming. So those kind of things are really important, how we game plan. But we game plan based, I always game plan based off my athlete first. Like, what is his capabilities? What is his strengths? What is the other team planning against us? What would I do against this athlete, knowing what I know to beat him? And then, Keep that in my mind. Then when I look at the athlete he's going against. Like, does this does this athlete have the capability to outscramble this guy? If he has, if he can outscramble my guy, then that's a very big big concern of me, on mine. So all that all so many things come into play, and that's why you have a team of coaches like Henry, who you know to me when I listen to a striking, he's you know it's bible. It has to be bible to me. Greg Jones, I mean, you're talking about an amazing amazing wrestler three-time NCAA champion, just sitting right in the same room with me. And I got a black belt jiu-jitsu guy in George Santiago and that actually fought MMA and had a good career. And he's sitting right there, never mind all the talent we have on the mat. So us tracking our skulls together is, is great. And then it's just organization of, okay, how do we get this down without burning too much time on the athlete and still getting into his rest? there's so many things that we do look at it's all in priority like Stefan's uh, true I came in and I helped him for the last month okay now I've, I've studied Nogueira forever because I was a big grappler and back then mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of tall lanky grapplers for and Hill and either be like them or figure out something else pal so I studied him to death and right away with Stefan's big body I'm like okay so you know I don't think that Nogueira has the capability to take him down in the center of the ring. And he's probably going to try to get him against the fence. And if I'm going to take down this big cat, then I'm probably going to have to single leg. It's probably a little tricky to get doubles on a big kid like this. So that right there creates kind of a, okay, this is what we have to worry about. We have to game plan. And defense tactics work. And, and, and uh, Stefan Struve had a good night. So that all comes together as we break down the fight. You know, does that kind of—I know it's a lengthy answer. I'm feeling good it today. It's a Sunday. I had a great day, <laughs> so I'm kind of going on the top. But that does that explain it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it definitely uh, does. Please. Now, I, I have right. some specific questions about some uh, specific fighters you've been working with. I know the first one I want to ask about is Rashad. He's a guy that was like on your, you know, your dream list of fighters to work with. So, what's what's it like working with Rashad, helping him prepare for this upcoming fight against Bader?
4: It's cool, man. It's cool. You know, I know he travels a bit, um, you know, to do some of the uh, the stuff on the shows, and and that's kind of the frustrating part. But uh, he's settling in now, and we wrestled. I think the first day I was here, he showed up and we wrestled. And uh, I had a blast. It was a great way to know a guy, settling with him. The kid's got, you know, crazy talent and experience. And uh, we hit it off really well on the ground as far as stylistically um like what he should focus on and, and having technique and tactics that relate to him, something that he believes in. So we're 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 on we're on the same plan together, we're on the same boat. So it's 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 pretty pretty awesome. You know, obviously the the big the big gorilla in the room, like as far as the guy they brought me down here, the coach was is uh, is Anthony. So Rumble's getting my time and when whenever he needs it but uh I'm there for Rumble all the time. Yeah it's Letting him pick me up and slam me a million times the other day, and that was that was a blast, taking all those bumps, and I meant that sarcastically, but uh <laughs> he's i I'm focusing on him, and Rashad's getting geared up more, and he'll be taking off, never mind all the other athletes we have ready for fights,
2: oh for sure and I saw something on uh, your Facebook page, I think, where uh, your toe wasn't looking so good. Your your big toe, it looked like it was broken or something. So is that affecting yeah. your coaching or anything?
4: No, man. I suck it up. Come on.
2: you know. Like, oh, yeah, I figured.
4: I mean, <laughs> I, you. I was treating Travis. <laughs> I tore my MCL. I, I left on a plane. Two days later, I'm at the Black Zillion camp. Mithriam shows up with all the special tape. He is like just showing me how to keep my knee together. I can, I'm barely sucking it up, and I train Rumble for the week. I, I, you know me, I don't let a, I don't let a toe go in a way. I'll cut that bastard off. You know, I'm, uh, I'm in it to win it all the time. But yeah, it was like my first way. I'm like, oh great, right, you know, first, first day, uh, a busted toe, but you know, easy day, no problem,
2: no problem. I, I had to ask. I, I, I was pretty sure of the answer, but. <laughs> now, uh, there's a guy at the the Black Zillions though that I think you could do wonders with. Uh, he just won uh, that Ultimate Fighter season twenty one, uh, Usman. Like he has so much talent. And I was just wondering, what, what do you think when you see him if you uh, if you've had a chance to work with him?
0: I haven't got
2: an
4: individual chance yet, but we talked <laughs> literally just yesterday, the day before, about. You know, our training together, and uh, he's a he's a decent sized athlete, and and uh, I'm excited for him. You know, every time I see an athlete um, with some prowess, I get excited because I like to, you know, I like to go live. That's I I love I love going with heavyweights. I love going with bigger guys, and um, so he's I'm gonna be sizing him up real soon and 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 train with him. I think he said he wanted to start next week, so. I could probably answer that shortly, but uh, as of right
2: now, I couldn't give you too many details about uh, that young man. Oh, that's all good. Now, uh, my co-host had one other question about uh, Rumble. He wanted to know, you know, is there anything specific you would have wished you'd have worked on more or that you'd have had more time with uh, to help him with uh, the Cormier fight?
4: Well, everything I like, did with him, but it was just for like four or five days, man, you know. Mm-hmm. And all and how, how it means I was here, that means I probably got, I might have gotten 30 minutes with him one day. And then the next day I, I got maybe an hour with him. And the, I laid. This, it was late in the camp. I just came down. I evaluated him really quick. I saw that he was using a lot of athleticism, uh, excuse me, athleticism to get out of the position, and that always concerns me it causes fatigue and when you're going against dc who's a heck of an athlete um that doesn't that's a problem that's a problem and um, i voiced my concerns to the coaching staff and they tried to get some reps in of what i worked with them and you know there's not only so much i can do it, it should have been something that if i brought got brought down early in camp but the other issue was i had travis brown i had a lot of other guys in camps and my commitment was to them first, you know, but, um, yeah, uh, it's the same concerns I had then. I still, still I, you know, I had now, and that's the first thing I trust is, is some of his choices and him getting out of some worst case scenarios, but you know, he understands what to do when he gets caught up there again. Um, and now he's flown really well. He actually, he's pretty, in, he, I mean, he, he's easy to teach. Um, and he is—he uh, applies things pretty fast. Like um, I've literally had practices with him where I don't teach him. I'll show up and I'll do the same hold down, but just change my hand position, change my pressure, get him confused, get him a little angry, and he still has amazed me. Where I haven't—I haven't broken his discipline, and he stays focused on the the principles, and he's getting—he's scrambling the way he's supposed to. And that makes, as a coach that tells me he's got he's got it. You know, he, he's not just drilling really, it. He understands the concept. So even when shit goes wrong, he is like, okay, I know to get this leg out. I know that this is the hand that's going to hurt me and where my head needs to be. No matter where my hands are on his body, he's making the right choices. So um, that fired me up. I, that gave me like a lot of excitement because when I see that, I, I see... I see the brain working, and when I have an athlete that's thinking and is smart, they they tend to be the most dangerous,
0: mm-hmm. so uh,
4: it, it's a good, good start, and uh, now that we have the opponent change, you know, that's great. I already We already had planned for this kind of stuff anyways, but now we're focusing more on
2: tactics, so that's like, um, and uh, I'm excited for him. I'm excited oh, definitely. Him. Now... Was this interest with uh, Rumble, did it stem from when he fought Phil Davis in his UFC return, or did you kind of know him a little bit before that? Well, I knew
4: him. I remember, I remember him. because me and Carl Preezy, and, you know, we that's when my, me and Carl Hire stand, that's where my moment, you know, that's where I, I really got into this. Mm-hmm. thing. I was trained before then, but that's where, you know, they made me
0: to my hands, so
4: to speak, as a grappler. So I remember uh, Carl fighting in Colorado, and seeing AJ fight at 170, and Carl was like, jeez, he is huge. Like, that guy's 170. So I was I'm pretty aware of Rumble, and the thing that I started liking about him is I'm a, you know, I'm an ex-dog trainer in the military. I was, you know, I trained attack dogs, police dogs, drug dogs, bomb dogs, that kind of stuff. So I have a, I have a weak, weak spot for animals, especially dogs. And he had come out and talked about how he, you know, tries to help, um, uh, it, it's been a while now exactly he, what he was doing, but he was basically helping uh, a foundation that helped pit bulls get, that were, you know, abused or, or or trained to fight or whatever. He was taking them in and helping them out and basically that he's an animal over too, and he can't stand people that are abusing the dogs. And I remember they asked him if this is when Michael Vick's stuff was happening and he said, what would, you do to, what would you say to Michael Vick? And he said, I wouldn't say anything, I'd just knock him out. Something to that point, I'm not quoting him. And right away, I was like, I like this cat, this guy. Me and him, I think, the same. So uh, I've kind of seen him around, talked to him. Obviously, his coach was my friend, so I'm sure he heard a few things about me. Um, Jake Bonacci, the strength coach, me and him together in uh, Las Vegas. He's my friend. He's Rumble's strength coach before I started training him still is. So I'm sure he's heard about me. And then when I saw him fight Phil Davis, the thing is what I saw was his composure and his cage control and just, he was just on point And I, I was just blown away. I was just blown away. And, you know, not many people really hit Phil Davis and he cracked them and, you know, just Phil's Phil didn't go to didn't go to sleep, man. That guy stayed in it, but it was, it was a tough loss for him. But man, it, it, I was impressed by rumble. And I was, in fact, you know, I was impressed by Phil. He could take a shot. I've never seen him really get hit. Um, so it was good. It was a good kind of, you know, obviously it was bummed I lost, but I, I have a lot of respect for that athlete. I was like, I respect this athlete. He's, he's very composed. He's fighting intelligent. You know, it's like I have respect for that. You know, when Chandler lost to, um, what's his name, the uh, Bellator champion there. Brooks. Uh, Brooks. I'm looking at Brooks as he's fighting. I'm like, he's composed. He's fighting smart. He's not emotional. He's staying in it. It, it was... I was like, man, you know, no matter what the beef was before, I respect this athlete. Look at this guy; he's he beat my guy, which sucks, but it was his composure in the cage and his being smart—not just an athletic body, not just being a racehorse that could fight. You know, a brain, and I, I respect that athlete. You know, it's like, wow, I like this guy. He he's a thinker, and I that to me, I I admire that kind of
2: stuff. You know, I admire. That. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of people's eyes were opened with uh, Rumble's performance against uh, uh, Davis. Now, my other co-host, uh, Jerry, he's on the line. He's been waiting for 30 minutes to ask you a couple <laughs> questions about, I like, Griffin and stuff. I, I, need, I need someone up. <laughs> so, uh, like <laughs> so, Jerry, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Uh, all okay. right, so... Ask away, man. I, I know he's got some Forrest Griffin related stuff. So all Forrest oh. Griffin related questions. He's my oh favorite God. fighter
1: of all time.
2: No, okay. no. Right. But in,
1: in all seriousness, um, I listened to a Chael uh, Sonnen podcast, and he had Randy Couture. He had some high praises for your wrestling game, and he uh, they were kind of debate, or he kind of posed a question as if uh, if you would ever consider competing in one of these grappling tournaments. Uh, maybe against Josh Barnett? Is that something that you you would consider?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I would consider it. Uh, I've been me and my manager have been talking about it for a while, and uh, we even made some calls about it. The the only um, challenge I have to face, I mean, I have some serious health issues, but I I would just want some time to focus on me because the the problem I incur all the time is that when I'm when I'm training these athletes and I'm rolling around with them and fighting around with them. Um, Cause I'm a hands-on coach. Is I'm letting them beat me up half the time. Like more than half the time, They're I'm letting them beat me up. And when you're you're spending a whole work day like a training session, letting guys like score on you, choke. Because you're trying to teach them. You're not just fight them. Because they're not fighting you in the cage. They're just fighting. You know. You don't want them to. You don't want to overdo it with them and get make them gun shy. Now, on my free time, I gotta start training for a match it's like I just don't have the energy I just don't have the gas, so I' have to work it out where I could just hey get some me time and and not you know not be bashing my head in with these these fighters, letting them just kind of tool on me so they could build up their confidence you know i'd have to have to be like, hey, you know i'll coach them from the sidelines, and i'm gonna do my workouts to get in shape because." You know, there's some badass ass these days. It's been a while since I've competed. I don't want to go out there and, you know, put on a bad show. I want to go out there and put some guys away. So it's definitely something that's on my mind a lot. It's on my mind a lot. It's just finding the time to do it. Because I'm, right Are now, you giving, I'm giving yourself locked. a window? Are you
1: giving yourself you know, a window I'm, of right time?
0: Now,
4: my goal right now is has everything to do with the Black Zillions athletic team. I want to get something going. To get these athletes up to where they need to be, fill in the cracks, get with the other coaches, try to get this, get the win streak going, some more, and 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 get these guys all going where I, I feel comfortable to be like, okay, now I can pace myself a bit. But right now, I, I I just got here. I'm still. Let's put it this way: I finally just got a new car out right here. I am still living. An extended State hotel because it's hard as hell to find a house to rent out here. I've stopped, I've been here for a month living in a hotel. I have zero time to do anything. I'm doing two a days and I'm training six days a week. So and I'm you know preparing fighters for fights. I'm I'm getting very little me time. I think I've gotten one day to grapple live where I I just did what I wanted, and in, in a month. So I I want to get some more time before I go in there with the likes of Barnett, because uh, I would love to compete against him. I think he's an amazing athlete. I like him a lot. I cheer for him all the time. It, I, the only thing is I would only want to compete against someone over 200 pounds. I wouldn't want to compete against a smaller guy. I just have no interest in him. But, uh, I think it
1: would be fun to see you and uh, Dillashaw go at it. <laughs> you just go in there and crush him. <laughs>
4: I think. I honestly think if I did something like that, Dominic would hate me for life. He wants to be the one <laughs> He wants to be the one to, to seal the deal, you know. Uh, but I'll let Dahmer do that. I'll let him do that. Uh,
1: how, how do you think, um, uh, switching gears here, uh, how do you think Phil Davis does in Bellator? Do you think he uh, he becomes king of the mountain after the, uh, the four-man tournament? Yeah,
4: if he if he wins the title, which he's very capable of. I mean, not wins the title. He wins the, the four-man tournament. Uh, Phil Davis is pretty remarkable. I mean, he was up in the top ten in 205 division in the UFC for a long time. And not too many guys can beat him. He's hard to hit. He's got unbelievable wrestling. And honestly, man, on the ground, like, Phil Davis is a monster on the ground. He I, he, he can eat black belts for breakfast. The guy is, in my you know, impression, with the exception of a few other guys, because I, I forget who's who's out there at two oh five sometimes. I know Rob Drysdale is in, in fighting him these days and he's a sick ass grappler, so I would never say this about him. But uh um Phil Davis is one of the best grapplers at two oh five in the world. You know, he's different than Rob Drysdale but he's he's just as good at his own style. You know, um guys like Rob and and you know um, Vinny Maghalayus they're great grapplers. They're probably the best grapplers at two oh five, but I'm telling you Phil Davis can for roll, man. And the the years I worked with him, I really refined that style. And just telling you, man, if he gets these cats to the ground, he can ride them to death. But there's tough guys. Like getting King Mo to the ground is gonna be some tough times, man. King's an awesome freestyle wrestler. He's gonna t- dump you and let you go, and he hits hard. He got he's you know, and he's and this is King's fight at all these weight classes. The guy should probably be fighting at 85, but he'll take a fight at heavyweight. The guy doesn't care. He's a total stud. Nice dude. I've worked with him before. So that's a tough fight. We got Linton out here. Um, he's fighting uh, in that tournament. That kid's a, a, a huge potential. He's a giant 205. Where he's 6'4", all shredded muscle. He's intelligent. He's easy in to coach. strong. He's got a future. But to, to answer your question, I believe one way or the other, whether it happens in this next tournament or whether it happens in six months, Phil Davis will probably be king of the mountain. Yes, at 205 at both.
1: Does it make you kind of sick that they didn't give him a title shot right away and instead they give this guy named Tito Ortiz uh, a title shot against Liam McGarry, who looks awesome. I think he's – I'd love to see him in the UFC, but – uh, isn't it kind of odd that they would just – obviously they want to get ratings, but, like, does it does it make you sick as a coach to see these guys that stay in the game too long? No, I mean, honestly, because
4: I don't really know what's going on in Tito's life. You know, he the guy, he's still a draw. He still wants to do this, whether he does it for fun or money. He's got a family. He's got kids. I don't know where he's at financially. I'm going to cheer for him. He can leave when he wants to leave, but the bottom line is, yeah, at certain fights, would I would rather see a different contender? Yeah, somebody maybe that's a little more active in the fight game. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, I didn't care if Phil got the title right away. You know, I think they're doing something foolish by doing a four-man tournament because they could have Phil versus, you know, um, any of these guys in the tournament and has it as a main event for each of their fights, instead they're putting it all in one show, you know, so the fans are actually going to benefit, not the promotion as much, but uh, it's good for the fighter too, because Phil will be able to get, if he wins both fights, he gets two paydays, you know, it's uh, he'll make a lot of money in one night, that's a good thing, um, but as far as Tito, man, you know, he's doing his thing, good for him, um, if Liam beats him, that's great, I'm sure he's having a blast. I'd be like, hey, cool. I got to, you know, Tito is kind of a legend. I got to go beat Tito Ortiz, or if he loses, you know, whatever it is. But no, it doesn't bother me. I don't look at it as a fan. I look at it as a, as a business, you know. As a fan, yeah, maybe, maybe.
1: But. Yeah, um, I got two more questions for you. It, it, you know, Fedor announced he's coming back. Randy has said, hey, you know, it's it would take a lot for me to consider that fight. I'm happy retired, but if if it's offered outside the UFC and he calls you and he says, what do you think I should do? What would you respond?
4: I called Randy right away when I heard there, because there's rumors like you heard about Randy possibly fighting him. And I was like, cause Randy's crazy enough to be like, cause he loves challenges. He loves challenges. He loves bettering. So be like in his, you know, at 51 or 52, be like, yeah, I'll fight for or, What the hell? I need something to do. And I called him, and he said, "No, no, it's it's just rumors. He's happily retired. He's not interested. He'll, he's really curious to see who they're going to put him against, you know, kind of thing." But uh, yeah, I, I, if he did, it would be kind of it would be kind of wild. It'd be fun, but he, he's having fun. He's every time I – the guy is happy, he's happy. Let him, you know he's he's got nothing to prove. It's just whether or not he felt like competing or not. You know, it's I, I don't. I don't see it happen, but honestly, Randy's a maniac. He's a great guy that he loves. He loves challenges, and if that challenge is something he's always wanted, it's up to him
1: because he's so I have strong a feeling Randy could be 50. 60 years old and people would still want to see him fight.
4: Yeah, um,
0: I, the dude is not He's,
1: blood, man. When he's, he's, he's man.
4: 47. When he's 47, he's fighting the top guys in the world in the UFC. I'm 38, and let me tell you, I feel it. And I don't know how this cat does it. I, I have tons of arthritis. Randy's walking around like nothing—nothing nothing bothers him. It blows my mind. The guy is a specimen, and he—he's just one of those guys, man. I wish. Imagine if the world had Randy start fighting earlier. The, the the age has changed, and he would be in his prime right now. Knowing the stuff he does now, the guy would be amazing. But uh, I miss his fights, man. He was—he was always an inspiration. You know. But he's a cool ass dude. One
1: one last question. Uh, I want to get your thoughts. I don't know if you've seen any or uh, any training sessions or if you've heard any rumblings. But uh, how do you think uh, CM Punk does in his debut? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I got
4: asked that just recently. It's kind of funny that you asked. People ask. I think that people ask me that because the wrestler Daniel Bryan is a good friend of mine. He's actually one of my he was one of my purple pelts for you know, but um, you know, I don't know. From what I understand, CM Punk was not the great, you know, he's not a great athlete, but he is really intelligent, and um, he's got a great camp that uh, that camp in Milwaukee is great for him. You know, uh, I think that they're going to they have plenty of the right people around him to help him learn, but uh, you know, this lot goes into a fight. You know, as far as if you're Nervous to be in front of people performing, that's going to hinder your performance. You know, obviously, CM Punk loves being in the center of a crowd. He eats it up. He's very confident and comfortable in front of people. You know, that would help him on a competitive side. I would not want to be fighting my first fight in the OC. I mean, that, it's very, very dangerous for him. But I don't know what, you know, what he's doing in his camp. I don't know. I'm sure he's getting plenty of attention. He he could have time to develop, but it's he's in an accelerated program for sure. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see who they put him against. I mean, what are they going to really do? Are they going to put him against, you know, a top, top 10 guy just because of the name value? Or are they going to just kind of put him on a show with a beginner? Is he going to be young or someone close to his age? All those things kind of play a factor. I will be rooting for him just because it—it it must be one heck of a challenge to be doing what he's doing, and I respect his uh, his guts. But at the same token, I—I uh, I mean, I'm crossing my fingers for him. But there's some there's some badass athletes at 185, and uh, I was, I don't know, man. That sounds that sounds dangerous. You could get he could have a real bad first day, but you never know.
2: You really mm-hmm. never know. All right, and <clears throat> I have one last thing before we let you go because we have a Ray Borg coming on in like three or four minutes. Um, it is a totally not MMA-related, but he's my boy, Daniel Bryan. I'm a WWE fan, too. He's been. I've heard all yeah. kinds of rumors that he's going to be back by the end of the year. So you're so close to him. Do you think it's going to happen?
4: I don't know. I know he's hoping for it. I know he's mm-hmm. done a bunch of tests and got cleared. It's just going to be up to WWE if they want to let him. All these guys, Daniel is is dynamic kid of his era, you know, and he's extremely talented. And, he, you know, he's got he's gotten uh, some serious neck issues he's gone through, and he's he just doesn't quit, and he's had a lot of concussions. But these things don't add up ain't talking about a guy that won't take an aspirin for a headache, like that's daniel bryant like that's <laughs> that's what he's like like he is he is everything he is like a total hippie you know wears a wooden watch like like that's the kind of thing he's he could be really happy retiring farming in his backyard, and that's a real serious thing like he's a simple, nice guy one of the best friends as far as I've ever had, you know but um i I, I think if he really wants to do it, they should let him, especially if he's clearing all the tests. But WWE, you know, they're, I think they would be afraid if something happened to him because of some of the injuries because he's such a high profile. But I don't really know the details. and mm-hmm. I'd imagine if he's really consistent with the test that, you know, they would, they would bring him back because he is a draw. And uh, I know the fans are, are really praying for him. So hopefully he'll get to do what he wants and he'll come back. So if not, it's, it's unfortunate, but
0: what those guys
4: do, taking the bumps and falls and all the things that they do, man, it's, it's a tough mindset to know that you're going to get hurt. You're supposed to get hurt and you got to go out and let this person hurt you. And you're counting on this person not to hurt you too bad. And that's, that's kind of like, you know, when I'm rolling with these fighters and instead of beating them, I'm letting them toy on me a little bit. I just hope that they protect me a little bit because I don't want guys like Travis Brown hitting me in the face because my life, and, you know, shortened by a few 20 years or so. You know, like, uh, it's it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset. So I wish him the best for sure. If I knew anything else, I would I would probably
0: tell you unless you told me not to.
2: So. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, well, that's going to do it. I, I sincerely appreciate how much time you always have for us, Neil. I know we talk you yeah. to death a little bit. But uh, I think I did do it to myself this time. <laughs> now, do you have any uh, last words? Anything you want to send out? Uh, plugs, whatever. Uh, the floor is yours, man.
4: Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, my my website nmlyanthum dot com is is being redone. It will be up very soon. Though it's gonna be a it's gonna be a gazillion times better. I'm gonna release a lot of videos on it. I just want to spread you know some information and, and show techniques. I think you're gonna be seeing that. On different websites as well, and uh, promote my book, Mastering Triangle Chokes. It's been around for a little bit, doing really well. And uh, if you're interested in the bottom game at all, and, and especially triangles, it's definitely a book for you. You can get it on Amazon actually a lot cheaper than other places. So you should uh, you should do that. Otherwise, come train with me, or call me, uh, write me, and uh, have me out for a seminar, and I'll show you guys uh, some rad stuff.
0: That's it. Though. All right. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Neil, and best of luck uh, with uh, the new career in uh, the Black Zillions. I'm really looking forward to this uh, next stage for you.
4: Thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. I'll uh, I'll uh, see you next time.
2: All right. Thanks. Have a good yeah. day, Neil. Take care. Out. All right. That was new Black Zillions grappling coach, Neil Melanson, stopping by the verbal submission, dropping some serious knowledge for us, uh, Man, I love talking to Neil so much, and we got to rush right into this next interview because we got Ray Borg. We're already a minute late, so I'm gonna let you guys just you know give your thoughts on our little conversation we just had with Neil, and then I'm gonna go uh, try to pick up uh, Ray here. I'm gonna go call him in the the side booth. So, uh, Jerry Rich, take it away. What you think of the Neil conversation?
1: Yeah, he's great, man. I love having him on every, each and every time. He's,
2: he's the man.
3: Yeah, um, you know, I, I was really interested to hear, uh, you know, especially the question, the answer to what Jerry asked about him possibly competing in, uh, some grappling tournaments. That would be really, really interesting to watch. We don't see, uh, enough catch wrestling, really, uh, inside grappling tournaments, and, uh, I'd like to see him do something like metamorphosis or anything like that in the future.
1: Yeah, man, I, I think that'd be interesting. That, you know, he, he, he's cited some health issues, and I think he said in the past that he has, you know, he has limited vision in one of his eyes. Uh, I think that's what held him back from an MMA career. But, uh, yeah, if he can get time to train and, and focus on, On a grappling match, I mean, I think it'd be awesome To see him against some of the heavyweights I mean, this is a guy teaching, you know The elite fighters um, And to get him And to be able to see him firsthand Apply what he knows uh, Would be pretty neat
2: Alright, gentlemen uh, We'll table Our love fest for Neil Melanson And we're going to bring in Our boy, uh, Ray Borg Who is battling this Saturday night Making his fourth UFC appearance at UFC Fight Night 73 in Nashville, Uh, Ray. Welcome back to the verbal submission.
5: Hey man, Uh, thank you for having me. It's good to be back.
2: Oh, it's uh, an honor to to get a chance to talk to you. Especially how uh, impressive you've been performing lately. Now I got to ask, you know, when you were on the show last time, you were just about to make your UFC debut against Dustin Ortiz. Now you've your three fights in. You've scored two impressive submissions in your last two fights. You know, how is are things a little different for you now that you know you've settled in a little bit with the UFC?
5: Man, um, things have things have changed quite a bit in my life so far. I went from no no one really knowing who I am, fighting local talent to uh, fighting one of the best best flyweights in the division and arguably beating him. And so mm-hmm. you know, things have skyrocketed 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 for me. Um, I've had some great opportunities to do some cool things lately, and more importantly, I've been winning fights. You know.
2: Oh, definitely. Now, I got a goofy question for you. So I'm sure you've been asked this before, or maybe you haven't. But I don't know if you're a Star Trek uh, fan. But so I know you're the Tags Mexican Devil. That's your your nickname. But did you ever consider having a play on your last name? You know, like you know Ryan Darth Vader. So did you ever consider, you know, Resistance is futile Borg or Ray the Assimilator Borg?
5: Oh, man, what's funny is I've actually have never even watched a single Star Trek episode. <laughs> and uh, after my fight, everybody kept saying, Ray Borg, after my last fight against as everybody kept saying, oh, you need to change your nickname to Resistance is futile. Like, I, I got that tweet probably a million times. And I had to ask my team, and I was like, do you know what they're talking about, man? I have no clue what these guys are talking about. And he explained to me, uh, like, the Borgs of Star Trek, that was, like, their thing and whatnot. So I was like, oh, okay. So that's where everybody's getting this resistance, this futile thing from.
2: (laughs) All right. I just had to throw it out there because, you know what, the Taz Mexican Devil fits perfectly because that's just the kind of the the way you fight anyway. But um, now with this fight that you've got coming up on Saturday – you actually had uh, to go through a, a little list of people before it it endly ended up going to uh, Herrera, the the RFA vet making his UFC debut. You know, you had multiple people turning down that fight against you. you know, what did that feel like? You know, did that make you feel frustrated? Did it make you feel like honored almost? You know, uh, it was actually a little bit
5: of both. It was pretty cool the fact that I've, I've built up such a good reputation with my fighting style and also built up a good name that people aren't really wanting to fight me. They're not looking forward to the kind of fight that I bring to the table. And then it was also a little bit frustrating because I need work. You know, a lot of flyweights You know, they're they're already having a hard time getting matched up because the, the vision is so shallow. Some people don't even like to watch flyweights. So it's hard enough trying to get matched up all the time anyways and it makes it even harder when no one really wants to fight you. So it was a little frustrating but also a little bit flattering knowing that I, I pose such a threat in the division that people are kind of not wanting to fight me and people are ducking me.
2: Now, I don't know if you're the one that likes to call people out, but you're going to name some names? Usually you know who got offered fights.
5: Yeah, yeah, you know, I uh, I, know who, I know who turned down the fights and who didn't turn down the fights. Um, I'm not sure if that's any of my place or business to say who or who did not turn down the fight, but um, I'm, I'm really, I have a really hard time calling people out as far as fights and whatnot. I just kind of have this mentality of don't really care who they are, where it's at, when it is, I'll fight anybody. And, um, so late, so, re, so after this fight, I'm, I'm looking to go in there and win this fight. And then after I win this fight, I don't, I don't think I'll specifically call out a name, but I think I'll, I'll let Demetrius Johnson know that I'm coming from and I'll Take however many fights and fight whoever to get to that spot.
2: Oh, now that's that's the way to go is just start at the top, work your way down. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I saw an interview that you did recently where you mentioned that people, you know, were talking some smack about your uh, fit, uh, no holds barred gym. You know, what, what's the deal with that?
5: Yeah, um, obviously the other gym in New Mexico isn't just, a big gym in New Mexico. It's one of the biggest gyms in the entire mm-hmm. world, which which is Jackson MMA. They you know they have some of the best fighters there, and people people always like to say the grass is greener on the other side. When it turns out it's not, and you know there were some people from Jackson's MMA talking talking a little bit of smack, saying that blah blah blah. We don't have Tim, after Kim means spot Matt Brown. They said that he should go over to Jackson's to get a better ground game and then someone pointed out uh someone posted a video of me beating the crap out of their teammate before I fought Dustin Ortiz on the legacy card and submitting them and you know so it kind of went back and forth on that whole situation I try to stay out of that as much as possible I don't even know why I fit in Jackson's have beef in the first place I know it dates way back before I even knew what MMA was but I say out of all that, I don't care what the dude that Jackson's are doing. You know, I care about what me and my team are doing. And, you know, so that's where the smack talk came from, was a little bit from Jackson to the man trying to criticize the way we do things at our gym. But, I mean, it's shown time and time again that, you know, we're in a good spot. My coach got me to the UFC when I was 20. And, you know, we do the right fights and do the smart things. And, you know, everything's going
2: good so far. Yeah, and it didn't hurt that, you beat a, a Jacksons guy to earn your uh, trip to the, the UFC with the, the, the win over Nick Urso.
5: Yeah, that was a very bittersweet moment for our gym, knowing that that position. I didn't even know that position was on the line, but I guess people told me after the fight that they were considering Nick Urso to fight Ortiz last minute, and then knowing that I went in there, kind of stole stole that spot from him was was actually really cool for me.
2: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Now, let's talk about this uh, upcoming fight. You've got Herrera coming up. You know, he's appeared in RFA and he's looked pretty good. You know, a lot of people are saying that this could be the fight where you know, because he's got a, a really good ground game. That then maybe this is the the, the the fight where Ray gets to showcase the stand up. So I want to hear. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that?
5: I think that's actually one hundred percent accurate. I I think he has a very strong ground game, like myself. I feel like maybe I still edge him out in that department just based off of the kind of style I bring to the ground. I also believe my wrestling is a lot better than his, but I truly believe that those will, uh, our skill sets are going to cancel each other out. And my coach, my striking coach told me, she goes, Ray, I think this fight, I think it's time to show people what these hands can do because all the boxers in the Southwest know what my hands can do. I don't, you know, I don't spar with just chumps, I spar with some of the best boxers around and I hold my own very well against them. So I really I'm I'm excited, my coach feels the same way that even though Jean Herrera or however you say his name, even though he's a newcomer I, I think he's very talented. I watched this fight in RFA, I think I think he's UFC quality for sure and I think it's gonna be a fun fight, but I also think he's gonna bring out the best in me and people are gonna be in a while after after this fight, they're going to see all
2: the tools of my game and what I bring to the table. Oh, 100%. Now, my co-host here had a question for you. He said, you know, you talked about stealing a spot to get into the UFC, and he says speaking of sp- stealing a spot, you know, Dustin Ortiz, the guy that won that super controversial close decision over you in your debut, he's on this card, but he's on the undercard. So you're fighting ahead of him. How does that make you feel? Is that like you know, a little bit of redemption?
5: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool for me to know that I'm, I'm, just on my fourth fight in the UFC. He beat me in my debut, and I'm on the, you know, I'm above on the card, and you know, higher on the card than him. But that also just kind of proves to, to everybody that, you know, even though I didn't finish Dustin Ortiz, uh, every every fight I'm going for the finish. It's shown in every fight that I'm always looking for the finish, always looking for the finish. I don't ever feel like Ortiz or. A whole lot of other flyweights are always looking for that finish. I always feel like they're just trying to throw on a, a fast-paced fight and get the win. And um, that's not me. I just have this built-in mentality of always getting the finish. So I feel like my finishing rate and the and the amount of times I go for a finish in a fight just shows is what fans want to see. And I feel like that's probably why I'm above him on the card. Is because I'm a more mm-hmm. exciting fighter than Best. <clears throat>
2: and not not just that but you're in a very important position on the card like i would say that first fight on the main card is always you know a fight that they pick out specifically because that's the fight that people are going to see first that'll make them want to continue watching the rest of the card if they're just tuning in for the first time so you know they expect you know your fight to be an action packed you know awesome fight they always try to do that so does that give you a little bit of extra incentive too yeah,
5: that definitely does. It, you know, it's, it's people actually told me that same thing and asked how the pressure is. And I told them, well, there's not a whole lot of situations and a whole lot of people that can put pressure on me more than I put pressure on myself. I'm constantly putting pressure on myself to achieve more, to be a better fighter. So there's not much pressure going into it as what people think. It's actually exciting for me because I get to set the tempo for the night and then, you know, all the other fights after me have to meet that tempo, or else they're just gonna kind of, kind of not look as good as me. So I, I like, I like it, man. I like setting the tempo for the night.
2: Now I know that Herrera is pretty underrated. You know, for the people that don't know who he is, I mean, the guy is super talented. He's undefeated, but do, do you feel like you know this is a third straight opponent that's not uh, ranked? So, do you feel like you know you need to go out there and make a statement to to get that next big ranked opponent, or maybe to to make some of those guys that are a little further up the food chain want to accept the fight with you?
5: Yeah, I feel like I feel like every fight I need to make a statement, not just mm-hmm. with Herrera, but I definitely think Herrera I need to make a statement. And I you know I I think back to uh, my UFC debut, I was fighting a top fifteen ranked fighter, and mm-hmm. I I argue you know people are, still argue that I beat him, I still think I beat him, and I just got to make sure that Herrera doesn't come close to meeting that standard that I did. So I feel like I do need to make a statement, and also, I'm like I said earlier, I'm not I'm not too, not too in a hurry to fight for that belt. I'm only 22 years old, and uh, I told someone this the other night that all these guys, all these flyweights, I feel like they're they're going in fighting Demetrius Johnson more for the notoriety of hey, you know, I fought the pound for pound best fighter in the world. For a title, and you know, I held my own, or whatnot. They're just looking for the notoriety of it. And I don't believe anybody's going to beat Demetrius anytime soon, and I want to go in there and I want to beat Demetrius, and I want to, I want to smash Demetrius. So, whether that means waiting five more years, ten more years, half a year, whether it's taking eight more fights, two more fights, whatever I have to do to get be ready to fight Demetrius, then that's what I'm going to do. So. Making a statement will will do me good, but if I have to fight a couple guys outside the rankings there's there's some tough guys outside the rankings right now, you know um Hulahan, uh, mm-hmm. uh the Hawaiian the big tall smoker, you know those are all mm-hmm. great fights outside the rankings that I would definitely take, but you know if I can get inside the rankings, maybe even the top ten pretty soon and make the UFC says i'm ready then i'm I'm down for' it, man oh
2: hundred percent man now. I got to say I was looking through your Twitter feed just to see if there's anything that stood out and you looked pretty impressed with a certain uh, Ronda Rousey's performance last night. I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on uh, her uh, little 30 second, 34 second starching of Koheya.
5: Yeah, man, I uh I've never been too much of a Ronda Rousey fan. I don't know why. I'm well like previously I was never really a Ronda Rousey fan. I was just wasn't really sold on her. I always thought she had a bad attitude, but She's kind of grown on me quite a bit lately. I see all the things that she does and how how badass she truly is. And man, uh, I feel like her. I feel like her striking wasn't as good as she can do. I feel like she went in there a little bit too. I mean, hell, it worked. I mean, if they got her they got her to the knockout, hell yeah. But I still, based off of last night, you can tell that her striking is a lot better than what she showed. She just went in there a little rowdy and a little emotional. But hey, that's her game and. To be honest, to be able to to knock Koda completely unconscious was very impressive.
2: Oh, a hundred percent it is now, I've heard that you are a twinkie fanatic, and I was wondering, are you still planning on bringing a whole bunch of Twinkies to celebrate your your fight, or you got something else planned afterwards?
5: No oh, man, the twin, the after fight Twinkies. That's a tradition I haven't broke since my first amateur fight, man. So, so you you gotta believe I'm bringing some Twinkies and some Ding Dongs. Every all the cupcakes are invited.
2: Oh, that's good to hear. Now, do you have anything uh, you know exclusive for Nashville? I mean, that's a pretty big trip away. So, you know, you planning anything? In Nashville, after the fight, before the fight, or you know is this all business? You know
5: I've actually never been able to to mentally go on vacation on my fights. I'm always just so focused to 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 going in there handling business, fighting, and coming home to where. I've actually never even considered staying after one of my fights, like now that I think about how I'd like to stay in San Antonio or Florida to enjoy those fights and whatnot. Especially Florida, because I love the ocean, even though I've been to the ocean like twice in my life. I love the ocean, but no, I, I, it's really hard for me to be able to make plans like that during fight week. But, you know, if Nashville has something cool to do, then hey, we might check it out right after my fight.
2: Well, there we go. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that mindset, because, you know, that's really important with a lot of successful people. You see it with a lot of the champion-level people, they have that obsession it's like really difficult for them to not think about the fight. They're just so focused. So, you know, is that just something that has always been like that for you, or is that something that's, you know, uh, improved over time where you've just been able to just hone in on on the fight and just not get distracted?
5: Uh, You know, that's actually something that's been a part of me since I was doing jiu-jitsu tournaments. It's something that I've actually tried to, to stop a little bit just for the sake of my mind, but I don't, I don't know if I can ever go that route. Cause I see people like Cerrone and you know all those people doing all these things during fight camp, you know, to relax, get their mind off the fight. But I feel like once I get my mind off the fight, then I don't know. I feel like I'm not in it. So it's always fighting for me. Even when I try to get some relaxed time, I'm, I'm thinking about fighting. So it's, it's a mindset that I have that, you know, I have, I have, I'm, I'm in fight camp for about five. About five weeks ish. I go in there and fight for 15 minutes. I have so much time after my fights to be able to go have fun, go do whatever it is I want to do to relax. So, you know, that little bit of time is my time to get zoned in for the fight and focus on at the task at hand.
2: Well, uh, I think it's going to really pay off for you. Now, you know, being so young, do you feel like? You know, how close do you feel you are to your potential, or do you feel like that's just way down the road? Like it's not even like you haven't even like hit the tip of the iceberg.
5: Yeah, it's really hard for me to to even put a uh an estimated time on when I'd be at my full potential. I felt like maybe last year I was able to give a rough rough estimate on when I would be the most like perfect ray board that's gonna ever be. But just recently, man, as as I get, I learn so much, and I get better every single day, and I, I truly mean every single day. So it's kind of hard to put a time cap on it now, because I'm just excelling so much that it's kind of like, man, when's it gonna stop? Which is a good thing. But um, I'm just learning so much and getting better every day that it's really hard for me to even put a time limit on it.
2: Oh, definitely now. Are you the type of guy that'll bring in some other people, some? You know, potentially different coaches every once in a while to give yourself new looks. Or are you perfectly content, you know, working with those great boxers, working with the, the guys at your gym that have got you to where you are right now?
1: Um.
5: Well, I, my coaches always stay the same. You know, I've been with my coaches for a long time now, so they've always stayed the same. The coaching staff will never change, but we we've brought in fighters a couple times to um, for certain fights. We only feel that we try to do everything smart and in-house. So if, unless we truly need to bring someone in, then we will. But we we have so many looks at our gym that it's, usually it's unneeded for me to bring people in to spar with me or to train with me to give me the look that I need for my fight. I'm sure further down the road, you know, the different types of opponents I face, um, I'm sure I'll bring people in to, to give me that kind of look. But we, we have it all at fit. You know, we have the best coaching staff and also every look that you can ask for. So we're in a pretty good spot, and usually I don't really need to bring anybody in.
2: Oh, okay. Now, do you feel any extra pressure a little bit? You know, you are right now probably one of the most successful guys at your gym in terms of a UFC exposure rankings. So do you, do you feel any extra added pressure, you know, kind of being the the face of, uh, you know, Fit8 NHB?
5: Um, it's It's a little bit of pressure. I mean, you know not not any kind of pressure i can't handle but just to have guys who are like 8 years older than me, 9 years older than me look up to me is one of the craziest things that i thought would never happen in my entire life and it's a little bit of pressure in the sense of like not not like it's it's the pressure in the sense of not the, the way they look at me whether i'm a UFC fighter or not it's keeping this UFC dream alive that way my teammates have something to feed on and they know that there's hope and that they can get there too, as long as they work hard and also paving the road for them. Like me and Tim means both being in the UFC has actually opened so many other doors for a bunch of our fighters. And that's something we want to keep going. I mean, cause it's not just us who, you know, me and Tim, we don't want to be successful by ourselves. We want our team and our, you know, everybody around us to be successful with us. So we're striving every day to be better fighters for our team.
2: Oh well, that's great to hear. And uh, I guess we already know what your goals are in terms of you know you want to you know eventually get up there and, and challenge Demetrius Johnson. But do you have any like short term goals or anything that you want to set like within a year or within like any set amount of time?
5: Yeah, I um <laughs> I have a well one one of my goals, just a real short term goal, is after this fight I want to get at least one more fight in 2015, and uh, I actually turned 22 years old. The day I leave out for my fight this week, so um, that's pretty cool. But I'm running short on time because I told myself if I don't have a knockout by the time I'm 23, then I might I might hang up the gloves. I mean, I'm sure I'm not serious about that, but I mean, that's that's my short-term goal is to make sure I have a, at least one knockout by the time I'm 23.
2: Well, if you don't get a knockout on this fight, you should call up Rhonda since uh, you know you saw what she can do with <laughs> her hands now. So maybe she'll right. help you. Yeah.
5: Take- <laughs> Get some advice from Rhonda.
2: All right, uh, Jerry, uh, Rich, do you guys have anything else for uh, Ray? Okay, okay, guess not. All right. Um, well, Ray, I guess the last thing I have for you is a real simple one. But when you're kind of visualizing success on Saturday night and picturing victory against Herrera, what do you what do you what do you see? Like my prediction? Yeah, just when you're when you're thinking about the fight and picturing victory. I don't know if you're into visualization or not, but like what do you see when you think about it?
5: Um, I yeah, I do I'm I do a lot of visualization, I guess you could say a lot of daydreaming, the way I see things going is um I've actually done done pretty damn good job of calling out how all my fights are gonna go. And um I really feel like the first round of our fight's gonna be like balls to the wall, brawling. You know, scrambling, and then the second round. I believe I'm gonna finish him towards the end of the second round. And after I get my hand raised, my little brother's gonna be in my corner with me for the first time ever in his entire life. And his birthday's on the 11th. We're gonna get that win, come home, eat as much food as possible till we get sick, and uh, we're gonna go up to San Juan River and do some some fishing.
2: <laughs> oh, awesome! You should you should call up Hostess and see if they can make you guys a Twinkie cake.
5: Man, that would be the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I've had some people, of course they were fake people, but supposedly representatives of hosts talk about sponsoring me. And, I mean, we knew they were fake from the get-go, but just thought of how badass that would be. It, it would be it'd be bad for my weight career, but it would be pretty cool for me.
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, Ray. Well, uh, I really appreciate you stopping by. Do you have any shout-outs, trainers, sponsors, uh, your gym, anything? Uh, the floor is yours, man.
5: Yeah, I just want to thank uh, everybody at Fit and HB and my family up there for getting me ready for my fight. Also, my strength and condition coach, Jared Savedra and also uh, my sponsor, Trent Construction and Law. Without him, it wouldn't be possible.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Ray. I really sincerely appreciate the time. And best of luck against Herrera on Saturday night. I really uh, wish you the best. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. You have a terrific rest of your day. You too. All right, bye. All right, that was Ray Borg stopping by the verbal submission, and I think I just hung up on Richard. Yep, my bad. (laughs) Call back in. Call back in, Richard. (laughs) My bad. Um, He had the same, almost the same area code as Ray, so I picked the wrong one to to drop the call. So, uh Jerry, you with us?
1: I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yep, you sound lovely. So, Perfect. now we get to I actually call talk. On my phone. Yeah, you sound good, man. You sound good. So, let's we got a couple things I want to talk about before we uh call it a night, if you're cool with that. I don't know what your time schedule is, but uh I hope you've, uh okay, I hope you've enjoyed our uh, our show tonight so far. But okay, I want to get your thoughts, since I don't think you got to talk really about it. But uh, what, what did you think of uh, Rhonda last night?
1: Holy shit, man. It was uh, it was impressive. Uh, you know, it, it was good to see her go out there and brawl and, and get the knockout. She got bloodied a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I don't see anyone other than, than Cyborg and Misha. I mean, you, you, I don't think Misha beats her, but I think Misha is going to have the best chance,
2: out of all the women at 135. Hmm. Maybe. I mean, she showed some power there in the Jessica I fight. So if Ronda goes out brawling, maybe maybe Misha could crack her, but I don't, I don't think I that, don't
1: think Misha ever beats her. I, I just think yeah, Ronda's so good, but I, I think she gives her the best fight out of all.
2: Well, she's still the only person that's ever left the first round against her. So yeah. got to give Misha a little bit of credit. Now. Uh, oh, absolutely. There's another thing I definitely want to talk about was the the Paul Harris situation. I don't know if you saw it, Jerry, or if you've seen anything I in the did. aftermath. So I'll just uh, lay it out. Was Jake Shields was uh, do- pretty much dominating Paul Harris for the first two rounds. He was getting on top of him, a full mount, just whooping on him, and Paul Harris was like raking at his eyes from the bottom gouging his eyes. I can't believe he didn't get disqualified. He did it like 10 times. Um, and and then at the end of the round, he like up-kicked uh, Shields while he was still grounded. So, I mean, it was just blatant cheating from Paul Horace. He just doesn't know how to handle when he's not winning a fight. And and then, of course, he lands a uh, Kimura in the third round out of nowhere. And then Shield is like tap, 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 taps like nine times. And the ref jumps in. And Paul Horace, like, finally lets go after really cranking on it. And then Shields punches him in the face. So it was just a complete shit show. In I I Now that you've heard what happened, especially now uh, with all the, the stuff we've had happening with Paul Horace throughout the years, getting kicked out of the UFC for holding on to a submission too long against Mike Pierce with the heel hook. He's been suspended before. Thomas DeWall, uh for holding on to a, a a heel hook too long or a knee bar too long. You know, do you think uh of Fighting is going to strip him of the title?
1: No, they won't. They don't have the balls, to, And they don't have enough legit guys. They don't have enough talented guys to, to strip him. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to embrace his asinine behavior and let him, uh, you know, keep the title because people will watch him fight. Mm-hmm. People are gonna to want to see him fight and, and and you know hopefully lose or if he wins what's he gonna do this time? hmm what,
2: what do you think about it, Rich?
3: Um, I really think he should never be sanctioned to fight again in the United States. I don't know um, how they could justify, um, you know bringing him back for anything i don't think mm-hmm. any commission um should ever give him a license ever again um i think the world series of fighting is going to strip him and um that's just going to be the end of us seeing Powerhouse fighting anywhere but uh jungle fights
2: yeah that that that, that that's the thing i want to bring up is you know this We've seen this before in terms of, you know, UFC. Babalu, if you remember, he fought David Heath, and he felt David Heath disrespected him. So when Heath tapped out to a rear naked choke, he kept choking and put him unconscious and then let go. And he got – that was the last time Babalu ever fought in the UFC. Um, and that was a choke, you know. I mean, unless you're holding on to a choke while they're unconscious for another 30 seconds to a minute and you're, you know, killing brain cells, you know, it's relatively harmless. But with Paul Horace, I mean, this guy, if he holds on to these Kimuras, if he holds on to these heel hooks after these people are tapping, they're already in a tremendous amount of pain to be tapping. He's tearing ligaments. He's ruining careers. So that's my my biggest problem with it is Mike Pierce, the guy that Paul Horace tapped out and then got kicked out of the UFC, he's never fought again. John Fitch hasn't ever fought again. He might be done. Uh, I don't know if Pierce is done. But, you know, these are guys that were really good fighters that are done because of this asshole. And now he's out there, you know, raking at Jake Shields' eyes and gouging his eyes blatantly. And then um, holding onto a Kimura for an extra few seconds and forcing Jake Shields to tap like ten times. And the referee to jump on him and stuff. I mean, it was... Awful. So if you get a chance to watch it, Jerry, I think you'd be disgusted with his performance. Oh, I
1: saw it.
2: Hey, oh, you I, did? Okay.
1: Yeah. I,
3: I I do want to say this. Let's not pretend like the ref jumped on him.
2: The ref oh, yeah. The ref
3: kind of gently nudged him a couple of times. Yeah. Like Mazzagati is, up is up.
2: inept. He's wait, inept. Wait, that was the mean? worst performance out of Mazzagatti I've ever seen. I hope the UFC never uses him again. Like, they just specifically say, we do not want Mazzagati on this card. We will do whatever it takes with the commission.
3: Listen, if you know you're going to be repping a Paul Harris fight, maybe you should be ready to stop a fight with more than a gentle nudge. You do it. No, and
2: they, if you're, you're repping a, a Paul Harris fight, you need to bring a taser.
1: I mean, I, I, fraud.
2: There you go. Like, is that's that's like the only way this guy's going to let go?
1: It's, it's the problem is, uh, fighters should just. Just not accept the fight with him
2: because yeah, that's
1: what surprised he, he, me was this is what his third fight in the world is it the third time he's had he's done something like this in the world series of fighting um, since he got booted out of the UFC.
2: Um, no, uh, the look, the he, pitch was have, a little long, but I mean, not really. And then Steve yeah, Carl was not, guy. I don't think. But yeah, go but, back
1: and look. I think he did hold on. Like it, to me, it's like. Why isn't the World Series of Fighting kind of having a, a, a stern talk with him and saying, look, you do this shit again and you're done. And and clearly they're not having that conversation with him. And guys should just not accept the fight. They should just boycott this motherfucker. Well, and, I think it uh,
2: uh, makes them... Maybe it's like a, a macho thing because I remember I did an interview with John Fitch and he said it would be the first time he ever turned down a fight if he uh, got offered Paul Horace. And then he goes and fights him anyway and now his and his knee got fucked up.
1: Yeah, I, I just uh, I don't know, man. The guy has no business being in MMA.
0: Mhm.
2: So I I hope World Series of Fighting strips him, but I I don't think they have the guts. I really don't.
3: I, I disagree. They already withheld the title from him, so they're uh, they are going through the process of of seeing if um, they're going to need to strip him. Which what well, I, how I many
2: times do you really... got to watch that fight to know?
3: Seriously,
2: I, it takes like I, I think
3: 10 they, minutes. I, I think they're waiting on blowback. I think if they hold on to it, if they, I think they feel like if they hold on to it for like a month and everybody calms down about it, maybe they don't have to cut Paul Harris. I mean, because really there were two fights on that card worth watching, and if it wasn't Paul Harris versus Jake Fields, nobody would have fucking watched. So they're trying to see how long um, it's going to take for them to kind of sit on this belt before they can give it back for the for the anger to dissipate. And,
1: and luckily, these, those assholes, the Diaz brothers, caused the brawl. And, and that's really what people are focusing on is that you know they they were throwing bottles when they got thrown out in their band for the World Series of Fighting. You know.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I mean, This is this is the thing that that bugs me is. Do you know how embarrassing it is for a guy to to submit, to tap out, to give up in a fight? Like, it is the ultimate sign of surrender. I mean, it's not like a knockout where, you know, you just get punched until you're unconscious or you get choked until you're unconscious or, you know, you just get punched until the referee steps in. This is you going, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. Like, it is the ultimate sign of respect and surrender, and he's not respecting that. And, you know, how can you feel safe tapping against this guy when when that, when he does that? Like it's it's just it's not uh, a a good ethical situation to be in. Like knowing that if he locks onto something and you can't escape it, like it's got to be terrifying. Knowing that he's the first if you guy wouldn't mind.
1: Him. He's the first guy I wouldn't mind seeing him die in the ring. Like I, I would <laughs> just love someone to just drop him on his head or. Or at least well, it's just go back paralyzed.
2: and watch uh, Lombard's fight against him like ten times. That'll make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, you see he's Hector, not Hector called time. him out. He's like, they tap, let go. Not hard. <laughs> That's what he said yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, good for Lombard. I want—I should call up Lombard, see if I can get him to talk some more shit about Paul Harris. Because, you know, he, he hates Paul Harris because of the submission stuff. And then and then Paul Harris tested positive for elevated testosterone when they fought. So he really doesn't like Paul Harris. Fuck him. <laughs> All right. Is there uh, any other stuff you guys want to talk about? We had a few legends compete last night. I think uh, I heard something uh, that uh, uh the big nog, is retiring now after losing to Struve. What do you think about that?
1: Good. He looks yeah, awful. Yeah. He,
0: he I kind of wish,
2: moves. yeah, <laughs> slow motion. I kind of yeah, wish he'd retired after the Shaw win. That was like the ultimate, you know, would have been the ultimate walk off in the sunset type of story. But, you know, he held on, he lost, and then he beat Dave Herman. Wish he'd have retired after Herman, and then now he's lost three in a row. I'm just glad he didn't get knocked out, because it looked like he was going to get knocked out against Struve. Like the first punch Struve landed, like Nog was loopy and doing a little chicken dance. I was like, "Oh god, this is going to be bad." But he held on to the decision. He he fought as smart a game plan as you could possibly fight against through. He just doesn't have it physically anymore. Like he can't take the you punishment. Know, give
1: him one more fight.
2: Oh god, no. Just
1: give him one more fight. Ooh. But I mean, he, he they should when uh you know, when John Jones decides to move up to the heavyweight division, they should give no. him one. No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're such a sadist. Or or maybe put him in there against Kane. Give him a rematch against Kane. He already Kane.
2: faced Kane, and Kane destroyed him. <laughs> and this is when Nog was still <laughs> good.
1: <laughs> he hasn't been good in a long time. He's taken too many punches. I know. Uh, you know, but I, I, just, I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, fight one more time and just get beat up. Or maybe, hey, have Tim Sylvia come back.
2: <laughs> he would have to drop about 200 pounds, I think, to make heavyweight. <laughs> now, uh, one thing, just a, in a reminisce for uh, Big Nog. I want to know what do you guys think uh, was your what was your favorite Big Nog fight ever? It doesn't have to be UFC; it can be any of his Pride fights, anything.
4: For me, um, it has to be when uh, Big Nog submitted
3: uh, Tim Sylvia um, because it was just a Winter classic. Winter. Noguera, uh black belt uh, mm-hmm. match. Um, he got the shit kicked out of him for like 90 percent of your fight, and then he subbed him.
2: Yep, that was I, I watched that one live. That was a, a great moment in MMA, and I think you know the most iconic one for everybody is Bob Sapp. You know, power or uh, tombstone pile driving him, and then Big Nog coming back to to beat him. But you know, in retrospect, that wasn't as great because you know Bob Sapp sucks so much. But for me personally, it was uh, the Randy Couture fight. You know, just two legends just going at it, trading submissions and sweeps and escapes. And that was one of my favorite fights of all time. I really need to go back and watch that one again. But uh, what about you, Jerry?
1: You know, I, I got to agree with Rich. It, it was when he won the belt and, he, and he submitted to Sylvia. Because for years, you know, I'd seen him fight in pride and and he had a lot of great battles there. But the crowd and you know the presentation, that factors into your experience. And, and you know, the whole hype of him coming to the UFC and then getting a title shot with Tim Sylvia. I think he had one fight before that fight. But, you know, the hype, and now he's fighting for the title. He's the first guy to hold both the Pride Heavyweight title and the UFC title. Get it beat up. And then, you know, this is what he was famous for. Is just, you know, he was known for taking beatings. And still pulling out the wins, and he did it, you know, on on the biggest stage for the you know the, the best title to, that's out there in MMA, and uh, it was just exciting, man. It, was, it mm-hmm. was one of those come from behind wins that was just typical, Magera, and it, and it happened in the UFC in the octagon. So to me, that was my favorite fight. And that Randy Couture fight, yeah, you're right, man. That was pretty fun. Like seeing two icons. It, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's like imagine taking Muhammad Ali and, and and Tyson, you know, maybe not in their prime, but just throwing them in there together when they're still competing. Um, that That's what I compare it to.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Naga beat Heath Herring in his UFC debut and then got the title shot. So And Herring I had him in Queer Street before uh, Nog ended up uh, winning the decision. So, I mean, he he get he would get rocked or hurt in like every single fight ever. It just it finally started catching up to him. So, I'm glad he's calling it quits. Uh anything else you guys got about anybody else that fought? Uh do you think Gudelia has a good shot of uh taking the title from uh Ioana champion? No. No, even though even though Gudelia should have got the decision in their first fight.
3: I, I just watched um, Aguilera land some of those leg kicks against Godera, and I, I'm just uh, imagining uh, Ioanna just kicking the shit out of a pole right now. When does now
2: she – I haven't seen Ioana throw a kick ever.
3: Yes, she, however – She never has. Yeah, she, I don't she's think really like focus on kick her control. hands and knees. I, let's not pretend she doesn't know how to throw a kick.
1: Yeah, well, I don't you're, know. You're, Just, you're making it seem like she's known for her leg kicks. She's not known for yeah, her leg kicks. She's, she's she is a great stand-up. boxer. <laughs> yeah, she is a great boxer. You're killing
2: me, Rich. You're killing me. That was the worst technical breakdown I've ever heard. All right, Jerry, what do you think? You think it, you didn't get that? You could take it.
1: Yeah, that first fight was pretty close. I mean, she's she's got a shot. I mean, look, her striking is on point, um, but she does seem to gap. So yes,
2: that's the problem. You know, Five round fight.
1: In a five-round fight, there's no way she can last. But, um, but yeah, I, I think she has the best shot. Jessica Aguilar really disappointed me. I thought she was going to perform better. Um, and it looks like the UFC jitters got the best of her because she didn't really step up into the third round. Um, but, yeah, uh, look, that chick, Juana is going to be the new Ronda Rousey. What is it, a 115? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, she's going to be putting a lot of those girls out. I, I just don't see anyone. I mean, who who would you think if Paige Van Zandt? No, I mean she's no. getting eaten up. Uh, Michelle Watterson, no. uh, Is she even has been. Yes, she Pitchett is Tore, uh, Torres. No, she's just too small. You know, none of these girls can hang with her. If if Carla Esparza couldn't beat her, I don't think any of these other girls got a shot.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I, th- I think is the one that has the best chance. But, again, uh, conditioning could be a big factor in a five-round fight. And, and even though I thought Gadelia won the last time they fought in a three-round fight, Yoana uh, did drop her at one point. So, you know, she could knock her out still. So, And I, I do still think that is going to be the, the better striker. Just not in the kicking department.
1: Herbert Rondo.
2: <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. that I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any any last things you guys wanted to bring up before we call tonight?
1: I got to go. I'm getting the hook. Um, yep, that's fine. But, but uh, I just want to say, you know, R.I.P. Rowdy Piper. And yep. uh, keep your eyes out for Rhonda Rousey me videotape. That should be interesting.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And uh Richard, anything you want our fans to check out? Uh
3: no. No, I got
0: nothing.
2: All right. Well, I know she lost uh in her UFC debut, but if you really wanna interested in knowing a little bit more about Jessica Aguilar, who I still think is going to have a good UFC career, she just faced somebody that was one of the best fighters in the world in that weight class. Uh you should check out uh, Jessica Aguilar's um uh, UFC one ninety vlog series. She did some really cool stuff and uh, I thought it was uh, a lot more in-depth than, you know, the typical pre-fight stuff, so you should check it out on her, uh, I think, YouTube account, so highly recommend. All right, so that'll do it for today's show. Uh huge thank you to Neil Melanson for stopping by, as well as Ray Borg, who has a, a fight coming up this Saturday night, and we'll be back. The show is officially back. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we're having a show every single Sunday again from here on out, and... So we'll be back 6.30 p.m. this next Sunday. Maybe we'll have Dominic Cruz. Maybe they'll just be a little further down the line, but it's going to happen. And, uh, Richard, it's been a long time, but uh, I think you know what time it is.
3: It's code Angle time.
2: Baby.